Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 8 through 17, which can be found on page 542 in the Pew Bibles or page 1040 in the large print. Ecclesiastes 5, verses 8 through 17, uh, which, if you know anything about the book of Ecclesiastes, you know that... uh, Oh, we have a very wise man, Solomon, who examines everything and determines that it is all meaningless under the sun. And so he goes through one thing after another after another and says, if all there is is what is under the sun, none of it matters. But, of course, we know that that's not all that there is. And so, um, as we get to this particular passage. He's only going to be looking at a few things here, but you can see how it applies in other areas as well. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. God, we thank you for all that you have given to us. We thank you that that in you we have more than enough. We pray that you would open our eyes this morning that you would expose um, expose the idols of our lives, the things that we have been looking to to find um, to find our meaning, to find our significance, to find our security, to find our happiness apart from you, and yet deceiving ourselves and saying it's not what we're doing at all. God, help us to be honest today with ourselves. And with you. Help us to come ever more closely today to trusting you completely and loving you fully with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. Lord, as we hear your word read and proclaimed today, pray that you would open our ears and that you would change us. Change us into the people that you created us to be in relationship with you. Through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Ecclesiastes 5, 18, or 8 through 17. As if you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things. For one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are others higher still. The increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the fields. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. This, too, is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart, and what do they gain, since they toil for the wind? All their days they eat in darkness, with great frustration, affliction, and anger. That's a happy message there, isn't it? 
I'm not gonna. We're not, not gonna end on such a depressing message, though. We're turn John chapter three, picking up in uh, verse sixteen and going through twenty-one. And this is when Jesus has been talking with Nicodemus. And depending on how you read this, this is either John's commentary then on what's been going on, or it's Jesus continuing um, the conversation. I'll let you decide that one. But John three sixteen to 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I had a strange experience uh, yesterday. Well, maybe some of you have had the same experience. And that is, I went to Sunset Mall on the Saturday before Christmas. I didn't stay long. <laughs> but oh my goodness, that's a lively place. And it is full of uh, everybody trying to get those last-minute things or finally find the, the perfect gift or at least, you know, something that will do. And it was particularly striking because we look at, you know, what it means to prepare ourselves for, for Christmas. And we're looking at these passages. Like, for example, we're looking at, um, at 1 John and this idea of loving the world. And we just saw that Jesus said, you know, Jesus or John, in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And we say, yes, okay, very good. Loving the world, that's a great thing. But then we come over to 1 John, and it starts out in chapter 2, verse 15, do not love the world. Uh-oh. Well, which one's right? Are we to love the world like God, or are we not to love the world? And if not, why not? But as it turns out, the word world gets used in a lot of different ways. You probably know this. And so when it says God so loved the world, what's he really talking about? He's talking about the people of the world. He's talking about the creation itself that he has created, that he has, uh, has given his son to redeem. But when John tells us not to love the world, it doesn't mean don't love the people in this world. But he specifies, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, and here's what he's talking about, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. And so we have, we have this this kind of passage, this kind of message from the Bible, this is what we look at at Christmas time. God loves the world so much, he gives his only son. That he didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. 
And yet, the world is broken. And there's, a, there's sort of this worldly systems that take place because we are broken. And so we have these desires that are worldly, that are not for God, but they're actually against God. That's what we're talking about when it says don't love the world. It says don't love those kinds of things. Don't love the things that take you away from the world. Here's how one... Got it in here. Uh, one commentary explains the, uh, this idea of the lust of the flesh. And you, know, you hear this phrase, lust of the flesh, and you go, oh, I think I know what that is. But uh, it's more than just that. This flesh refers to the outlook oriented, <laughs> orientated towards self, that which pursues its own ends in self-sufficient independence of God and in self-sufficient independence of one's fellow man. Do you hear that? God has said we are to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love each other in the same way. But this kind of desire is the desire for me first, without God, without other people. I don't need him. I don't need anybody else. I want what I can do to make it on my own. It says, this is the lust of the flesh. It continues, says, the flesh not only becomes the basis for rebellion against God and for despising his law, but also connotes all that is materialistic, egocentric, exploitative, and selfish. It's not finished. It is at the root of racism, sexism, love of injustice, despising the poor, neglecting the weak and helpless, and every unrighteous practice. kind of makes sense now. John would say, don't love the world. (laughs) Watch out for this lust of the flesh that is self-centered. And the lust of the eyes, the lust of the eyes is more of that idea of the greed that can never be satisfied. The seeing something and saying, I've got to have it, I've got to have it, I've got to have it. Never satisfied. We read that in Ecclesiastes. Never satisfied. More, more, more. Here's one of the other reasons I find this so strange, and you go and you see the shopping, the way that we celebrate Christmas today is this through this abundance of what do you want for Christmas? What is it that you, that you would like to have? What is it that would make you happy? What is it that would satisfy you finally? We ask these questions to each other. We answer them. And as Christians, whether we're asking it or answering it, we ought to have a feeling of, this just seems wrong. There's something off about this way of doing things. I'm not saying we shouldn't be giving and receiving gifts. If you can give and receive gifts as an act of worship and praise to God, hallelujah. But don't put your hope and your trust and your meaning and significance and trust and security in either the giving or the receiving of these gifts. And especially when we're answering that question, you know, what is it that you want for Christmas? As though there's there's some perfect gift out there that if I only had that, then I would be somebody, or then I, would, um, I wouldn't have to worry anymore, or then I could have a life of ease and comfort. And I wouldn't need God, and I wouldn't need other people. You see the problems here? When we're answering those ways, that should immediately send up red flags in our heart of hearts. Think back to Psalm 23. Do you remember Psalm 23? Psalm of David is one of the most famous I would recommend you spend the rest of the week just reading over this one. It begins, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. 
The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Hey, David, what do you want for Christmas? I'm good. I already have a shepherd who takes care of all of my needs. Who takes, if you read through the rest of the psalm, he takes care of all of his needs. He takes care of all of his fears. And he takes care of his future. Now, if you have a God who can take care of all of your needs, who can take care of your fears, and who can take care of your future, what more can we ask for? And yet, for some reason, we have conditioned ourselves and cultured ourselves to say, but that's not enough. I think if I had a God that would do all of these things for me, that would be wonderful if I also had this really cool new gadget. Then, that would be something. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. John tells us, do not love the world or anything in the world. And I'm not, by the way, I hope you realize, I'm not just picking on Christmas gifts here. It's just the most obvious example of this particular week. But this is a very widespread problem. It's everywhere. It's everywhere that we look to the things of this world the ways that we push God aside, we push other people aside, and we strive for our own independence away from God, away from each other. Just like Adam and Eve did. I'll just take the fruit, the fruit that is uh, pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. And that desire has been carried down in every one of us ever since. The desire to do things our way, not his way. Apart from him, not with him. But in verse 17, he says, the world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. And this is the whole point. The reason that Jesus came is for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is life with God that goes on forever. And we've talked before about the, uh, the clay project that Diana has done before, where there's the, um, the ball when you have the paper towel thing inside the ball to make it a little piece of clay inside that. And when it goes into the kiln and the fire heats up, the clay that was soft hardens and it becomes firm and that becomes its shape and it stays that way. But the paper towel burns up, turns to ash and falls away. And what we are told is there are things that are going, that are temporary. They're here now, they're here for a purpose. You know, the paper towel's there for a purpose. But that it's not going to last And what we're told over and over again, and this is one of those places where it's so clear, saying don't attach yourselves firmly to the things that aren't going to last. Let them go and attach yourself firmly to what will last. Hold on to God with everything you've got. And if you have nothing else, that's all right, because you've got everything that you need. There's a um, story told, um, I assume it's true, about uh, how hunters can catch monkeys. You heard this before? In various parts of the world, what they'll do is they'll take a coconut that'll be hollowed out, and there'll be a hole in it, just big enough to fit an orange inside. And they will fasten the coconut, they'll put the orange inside, and then a monkey will come by, smell the orange, all right, get me some breakfast. Reach inside, grab the orange, but now with its hand around the orange, it's too big to fit out the hole. And so it struggles, and it struggles, and it struggles, and it struggles. 
and the hunter comes up and gets the monkey. Because it's stuck. It's trapped. It can't get away. Except that it could easily get away at any moment if it were willing to let go of the orange. Then its hand would go out, and it could go free. We grab so tightly to the things that aren't going to last. And we put our hope and our trust in these things. And we refuse to let go. Even when we have warning after warning after warning. Let go. Let go. Get free. But we hold tight. So a question for you today. What is that orange? What is it that you're trusting in? What is it that you're holding tight to? Is it, is it money? Is it power? Is it gadgetry? Is it your own strength? Intelligence? Weaponry? What is it? We all have, we all have things that are really calling for our attention. Those lusts of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. We have to let it go. I'm going to leave you today, though, with a, um, a story. This is an article that was on Crosswalk.com this week. Um, which I found particularly helpful. This is a somebody writing on exactly the same thing that we're talking about today, but from a very different perspective. And so if nothing that I have said so far will make the connection for you, maybe this will. This is called Just Drop the Blanket, The Moment You Never Notice in a Charlie Brown Christmas. It's by Jason Sarosky. He says, This week, a Charlie Brown Christmas aired on national primetime television for the 50th time. And in the world where the latest, greatest technology is outdated in a matter of months and social media trends come and go in a matter of days, 50 years of anything becomes quite meaningful. He says, I'm a fan of all things nostalgic and all things Christmas. And so when the two are combined, I'm hooked. And the Charlie Brown Christmas special falls squarely into that category. I was in the first grade back when they still performed Christmas pageants in schools. Less than 50 years, but still a very long time ago. And our class performed a version of the Charlie Brown Christmas. Since I was kind of a bookworm and already had a blue blanket, I was chosen to play the part of Linus. As Linus, I memorized Luke 2, 8-14, And that scripture has been hidden in my heart ever since. But while working so diligently to learn those lines, there's one important thing I didn't notice then and didn't notice until now. Right in the middle of speaking, Linus drops the blanket. Charlie Brown is best known for his uniquely striped shirt, and Linus is most associated with his ever-present security blanket. Throughout the story of Peanuts, Lucy, Snoopy, Sally, and others all work to no avail to separate Linus from his blanket. And even though his security blanket remains a major source of ridicule for the otherwise mature and thoughtful Linus, he simply refuses to give it up. Until this moment, when he simply drops it. In that climactic scene, when Linus shares what Christmas is all about, he drops his security blanket. And I'm now convinced that this is intentional. Most telling is the specific moment he drops it. It's when he utters the words, Fear not. Looking at it now, it is pretty clear that, when, that what Charles Schultz was saying, and it's so simple, it's brilliant. 
the birth of Jesus separates us from our fears. The birth of Jesus frees us from the habits we are unable or unwilling to break ourselves. The birth of Jesus allows us to simply drop the false security we have been grasping so tightly and learn to trust and cling to him instead. The world of 2015 can be a scary place, and most of us find ourselves grasping to something temporal for security, whatever that thing may be. Essentially, 2015 is a world in which it is very difficult for us to fear not. But in the midst of fear and insecurity, this simple cartoon image from 1965 continues to live on as an inspiration for us to seek true peace and true security in the one place it has always been and can always still be found. I like that. I like it a lot. But some of you may have a question right now. Is that really how it goes? Does he really drop the blanket there? Did this article just make that up? Just because it makes for a good story. So we're going to watch it. I'm glad it started playing, but I wasn't ready for it yet. As we watch this, this is how we'll conclude this morning. Listen to the words that are spoken as the meaning of Christmas is explained, and watch for the blanket to go away when it does. But don't just watch for Linus and his blanket. I hope, as we've been talking this morning, that you have already identified at least one thing in your life that you've been holding on to that you need to let go of. What is that orange that you can let go of? What is your blanket? And as he drops the blanket, as you're listening to what it says, in your own heart, let go of whatever it is that's keeping you from holding God tightly. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Amen.